When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the bond market trying to tell us? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. We brought in some extra firepower today to help make sense of what is going on in these markets. Uh, joining me today, my colleague, James Helliwell, and Kamal Sri Kumar, president of Sri Kumar Global Strategies. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Good to be back, Maggie. Hi, Maggie. Always a pleasure to be in your company. Uh, th thanks, James. This is the first time we roped you into the 4 p.m. and we appreciate it because you're sitting in London. So I know it's late, but um, we, we really thought it was necessary to sort of break down what's going on because we know we're in a, a pretty complex macro environment anyway. But we saw a lot of late day moves in the U.S. market. And in fact, we got a question. I'm going to start with a question right out of the gate um, from No One Knows Thyself. What spooked the market around 240? 5 p.m. Eastern time. It was as if there was a synchronized sell-off across bonds and equities. You're absolutely right. We did see a lot going on, and it really kind of links back to the UK market. And it's not often we've said that, right, James, that the UK market is sort of the pace car uh, for, for, the, for the global economy. But we know there's been a lot of turmoil in guilds, and it looks like a lot of that late-day action was really linked to comments um, from the Bank of England governor, Andrew Bailey, who basically said, Said, you've got three days to the pension system, the pension managers, three days to sort this out. They had to come in and intervene again today. But after three days, that's it. You're on your own, which sounded pretty harsh and I think caught people by surprise. Let's take a step back. And for those who haven't been following this to understand why this would send a ripple through global markets, what's happening in the UK market? What do we need to understand about what's been unfolding there over the last week? Since the, since the intervention, the first intervention by the Bank of England a couple of weeks ago, there's been a huge amount of anxiety around the world, not just here in the UK, about how this kind of policy intervention and in response to rising yields and inflation risk around the world um, could create problems or cause something to break. And in the UK's case, we were, as in a pensions industry, we were a matter of hours away from up to 90% of the industry going under when the Bank of England stepped in a couple of weeks ago. So yields are getting to the point already, even though it seems as much further for the Fed and other central banks to go in order to tame inflation, it seems as though yields in the past few weeks have reached that critical point where things are about to break. Um, and, and it's not surprising given that, or it shouldn't come as as much of a surprise, given that everything in the financial system is ultimately levered or highly leveraged. So when guilt, so uh, UK sovereign or government bond yields begin to rise, um, in the case of the pensions industry, which holds those bonds as collateral, a couple of weeks ago, it's creating a vicious circle where they were required to post margin. Basically, they received margin calls, but the very collateral that they're holding are the same bonds. So by selling them to raise cash to meet the margin calls, it was in fact just selling bonds, pushing yields higher and higher and higher. And that's 
how the problem began. So in terms of the response today, of course, that created massive chatter across the world, whether other central banks were going to follow suit or whether there may be a similar type of crisis emerging in the US or elsewhere in the world. The, the key thing today is that Bailey in the last couple of hours has come out and said that we're going to step away from the support. It's, it's all yours. It's your risk. And that initially seems really startling and quite scary because it does seem as though we are at a point where the rise in yields in response to inflation, rate hikes, has reached a point, as I say, where it's just unsustainable and something is at risk of breaking as we got all too close to a couple of weeks ago now. So um, it's interesting to see the reaction in sterling. You mentioned the reaction that spilled over into risk assets around the world, including US equities. It came um, after the market closed in Europe. And uh, in, in the last hour, you know, pretty much going eight o'clock here in the UK, um, it came between the two sessions or after the, the European session. And uh, it's maybe caught a few people by surprise, I think. Sterling reversed. It was pretty flat uh, today prior to the announcement. Very little activity yesterday either, um, albeit yields rose on the 10-year um, in line with other, slightly ahead, but pretty much in line with uh, with, with yields uh, rising in the US and other benchmarks. Um, but it's reversed about 1% in the last hour. So there has been quite a strong reaction. Now, I think this is probably a question for, for Shri a little bit later to get his view on um, what this could mean. But it it's just my gut instinct in a similar way to when the intervention was announced a couple of weeks ago, we saw Sterling rally, a relief rally, and then reverse. Back then, yield curve control to me, if that was basically my interpretation of it, suggested that in fact we would see pressure on the currency, which was mm -hmm. the opposite to the initial move. And it's ultimately what has since played out. Seeing this initial weakness, it just makes me feel a little bit uneasy, um, or so it could be the wrong move. I wonder what I'm going believe tomorrow. Um, as it's been just such a potent, clear message coming from the Bank of England. Yeah, so let's bring Sri in. And it's a potent message, but is it one they can stand by? You know, and I'm interested to hear James sort of talking from the trader point of view, because I think the reason in the U.S. you had that reaction is like, what do they mean in three days? That's it. They're going to let the pension system collapse. I mean, wouldn't that increase the odds of financial dislocation and instability? You know, the kind of instability, Sri, that would, you know, have the potential to have contagion around the world? Why would that be a good thing? Maggie, those are great questions. But before answering that question, which I will definitely do so, let's go back two weeks, as James suggested. You had, had what I call an unforced error, it is, or what you would say in soccer or football, a self-goal that you go and go not against the opponent, but against yourself. That's what the prime minister and the chancellor of the exchequer did. It was an unbelievably inept fiscal move on the part of the UK government, so much so that the International Monetary Fund, which generally criticizes only Asian and Latin American countries, they don't typically uh, criticize Europe, because managing directors at the IMF typically come, always have come from the IMF to from Europe, and they don't create, criticize Europeans. But this was a situation when they were very critical of what the UK did. To think about the immense folly of the move, think about the Bank of England trying to take water out of a tank that is reducing inflation 
even as the Chancellor of the Exchequer and the Prime Minister are trying to fill it up with water at the same time. You are just working at cross purposes. Mm -hmm. I was critical of the Bank of England two weeks ago because they transformed what was a quantitative tightening program uh, immediately to quantitative easing. They said they were going to once again buy bonds. They were going to add to liquidity. What happened to the central bank's worry about inflation? It has gone by the wayside. That cut back on the credibility of the Bank of England. Now, mm -hmm. fast forward to today. I think the governor realizes that he is being taken for a ride. The prime minister said earlier today she is not going to change any of her tax policy. She's going to continue with that. So the central bank is essentially telling the government, if that's the case, we are withdrawing from the picture. You take care of yourself and you take care of the market by yourselves. Coming to your mm -hmm. question, Maggie, does that mean they are going to let the crisis fester? No. It is up to the prime minister and the chancellor of the exchequer. They have all of this evening and early tomorrow morning to come up and say, we are withdrawing those tax cuts. If they, okay. if they did that, I'm not saying they would, because mm -hmm. I don't know whether I can give this team that high level of intelligence. But if they did do that, the guilt yields will go down. The pound sterling will shoot up in value tomorrow if they were to do it. Okay. But if they don't do it, they are themselves to blame for the continuation of the crisis. Do not blame the governor of the Bank of England. He is trying to restore credibility of the central bank. Okay, so I, this makes this makes sense, and this is what you both are sensing. So the Bank of England, and I think this was a little bit lost on just the headline coming out. To be honest with you, for investors in the U.S., the Bank of England is playing chicken with the government and saying, we, we, your safety net's gone. So if this thing goes up in flames, it's you, knowing that they're going to have to cave. My question is, do you see, so we went through something very similar. Um, well, not exactly, but in a way, um, when, when we were during the financial crisis, Congress were bickering with each other and did not pass TARP the first time around. I don't know if anybody remembers this. And it was like watching the Dow Jones Industrial Average drop like a stone. It was in free fall. And they literally turned around and had to vote again because right. they got so freaked out by what was happening in the markets. Before you see the rally you're both talking about, do we see that kind of market action? Is there a risk that we have to see something like that in real time before the trust government blinks? That is possible, which means what you're saying, Maggie, is essentially uh, the next three days, Wednesday through Friday, when the market gets prepared for Bank of England to withdraw and the yields, uh, guilt yields rise significantly in the next two or three days, uh, the, what does the prime minister do during the process? What does the chancellor of the mm -hmm. exchequer do? It's possible that they are not going to react overnight they are going to see how much of a crisis they get out of this because it would be too much of an about phase for the prime minister to go back on her policy of just two weeks ago. But if they don't, by, by Monday, if not earlier, uh, the chancellor of the exchequer, the British treasury, will have to make an about turn on its policies. Otherwise, there is not enough money in the world to bail out the British government. Mm. 
This is a this is a dangerous game. So James, um, I mean, it's not a game, but this is a dangerous situation. Even if we understand, you know, what they're trying to do, that's what I always worry about. And the you know the unforeseen counterparty risk that may be underneath that. Um, you know, if they take it to the brink. Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. So, James, um, and I think we have a question uh, from IR Impossible on YouTube, which is similar to the one I had. So we see this pension situation in the UK. Is it possible that that also exists elsewhere in the US? Yes, but but everywhere in the world. Is this a is is this potentially a global pension problem? And it's just that the UK showed up first. Absolutely. And it, and it may not be merely a pension problem. Um, it's a little bit like when we always uh, fight or uh, respond, I think, back to the previous crisis. So it's not going to be how well. <laughs> it might be a little bit bold, so it's not going to be housing again. But um, we were obviously looking at a credit crisis last time, so that's what we're focused on heading into the next one. Um, we've just come close in the UK to a pensions crisis, which is why all of the focus and the attention now elsewhere in the world is on an emerging pensions crisis. Um, but the fact of the matter is that yes, to to, to answer your question, yes, there is a risk that there could be a very similar situation affecting the same sector elsewhere in the world, whether it be in America or, or somewhere else. Um, but the chances are that the, the financial system is so, and the consumer is so levered to interest rates. At the root of all this is the same thing. It's the cost of capital, the cost of money, it's interest rates, base rates, and inflation is the problem. Inflation is the risk. As rates is- rise, whether it's in consumer credit, um, whether it be you know housing or student loans, as it has been looked at, um, any number of things. Housing is obviously on its knees already, or the, the housing sector sentiment, NHB, uh, et cetera. It's going to take something special for that to bottom. It's already under so much distress. If you take a look at the UK, um, Foxton's, for example, is, is the share price of one of the yeah, real estate agents in, in the listings agents in London specifically and, and elsewhere. Um, there's so much pressure on housing sector and right move as well, a little bit like, uh, I guess, Zillow in, in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, the share prices are under so much pressure with good reason. House yeah. prices, the house price index is still up 10% year over year in the UK, which is remarkable. So the, the pain and the stress is yet to be felt in the housing sector, at least in terms of prices. And therefore, the consumer and everything that's levered to that, housing being you know the usual, uh, typically at least, the, the, the one asset that a consumer would, a household would have, um, even if they're not financially savvy, they would at least have a home that they can tie equity to and all the rest. The yeah. pressure is yet to be felt there and it's coming. 
And and this is where we differ a little bit because I know, you know, we've had some discussions and we're going to continue as part of our make or break series because we've got inflation, you know, as one huge bucket because of this reason. Um, your rates tend to be more short term for housing. We are at least insulated a little bit in the U.S. because many, many people have 30 year fixed rates. Um, and that's a, that number is a lot larger than it was during 08 and 09 when a lot of people had floating. So that's a little bit of a buffer. Um, James, fantastic stuff. It's going to be so important to keep our eye squarely on the UK. And I just want to underscore but what both James and Sri said, which which is fantastic to get this sort of jump on understanding that this is, you know, now going to be this sort of all the, the ball is going to be in the core of Liz Trust. If you are thinking about doing something with that information short term, just from, you know, remember to be careful because there could be a lot of big moves before the eventual, you know, maybe swing um, that they were talking about. So just want to sort of put that cautionary um, comment out there. James, thank you so much for coming on late and and biting into your evening for us so that we can help uh, get a better grasp on what's happening over there. We appreciate it. No problem. There's a lot of interesting uh, stuff ahead. And uh, yeah, I would, I would just caution that my, my gut feel is that if there's a skew to the surprise for sterling and for UK assets, as grim as the picture may seem, I think Today, and, and this announcement could be a major turning point in terms of credibility, and that ultimately is what markets love. They want to see credibility and confidence rather than uncertainty and looking like they have no plan. And, uh, and similarly, just, just uh, a final closing thought, sterling has year-to-date hardly underperformed the dollar index, so the broad basket of other um, peers, which was a surprise to me. It's something that Roger and I were chatting about last week. Um, so that's that's worth bearing in mind. It may not be as you know as, as nihilistic or cataclysmic for UK in isolation. And one thing that really points that I encourage people to take a look at is the so-called term premium for the UK bond market. There's a tweet that uh, Cross Border Cap put out on on Twitter um, showing that, and it suggests that the um, the rebound that we're seeing in rates isn't isolated to the UK or its uh, its unique factors. It's in line with the, the other central banks and global macro trends. The term premium hasn't really moved, and that's the risk or the, the uh, faith that people have or lack in, in the UK as a sovereign state and its ability to repay its debt long term. It's a default risk, in other words, but very crudely. Um, and, and that hasn't really moved in the same direction. So it suggests that actually some of this fear may be overplayed. Whilst mm. it does look grim, that's the silver lining. But today's action could prove to be decisive and a real pivot. So. Um, it's going to be an interesting few weeks ahead. It certainly is. And we're going to be all over it um, in our series and on The Daily Shows. James, thank you so much. Fantastic stuff. So I want so Sri, let's let's continue the conversation. And, and James just brought up a really interesting point on, you know, um, there are some areas where we can see that there's a lot of fear. I heard someone say like gilts have been more volatile than Bitcoin. I mean, this is this is not a market that's used to behaving like that. However, if you look at some of the other factors that James just mentioned. So we have a question now, if we switch it, swing it over to the U.S. side of things. Um, and this has been coming up a lot in the conversations uh, asking about the high yield market. Um, Timothy asking, Please ask uh, Sri to attempt to explain how high yield is green today. How is it holding up so much better than stock markets and treasuries? What causes it to fall 20 to 30% down with the rest of the market? How, how, what, what do you see happening in the high yield U.S. market? 
The high yield market, I think, has uh, held out better so far, Maggie. And in answer to Timothy's question, um, when you have this crisis in the UK and it came from the pension funds, which is totally unexpected, nobody expected it, the crisis to come from there. On the US side, you need to be much more careful, I think, about the risks that you're taking on the high yield bond area. And you're going to see more of that happening as the US economy markedly slows down and the default rate increases. So in other words, it is too early to say that the high yield market is remaining very healthy and that it is going to remain healthy in the future. The second point here is history does not repeat itself, but it often rhymes in terms of being very close to it. So in the UK, you had it in the pension funds. In the US, the banking system today is very strong compared with 2007. Where are the problems going to come from? There are levered loans, and very many of them in the high yield area, which have increased significantly as a result of the Fed maintaining interest rates on a very low level and keeping its balance sheet ballooning. It has actually doubled even since COVID began. That is one area where you can expect a problem if the Fed continues to increase rates by 75 basis points every meeting. And at the same time, it is also cutting back its balance sheet, the QT, as it is called, by $95 billion. So in other words, the story is not over. Be very careful in terms of going into it during the next six to nine months. Why are you surprised that it hasn't showed up already? I think that's the point they're getting at. Why are we seeing the Nasdaq off? We're seeing other risk assets taken on the chin. You would have thought that high yield, especially, you know, out on the risk profile, would have started to cave in. And it doesn't it seems like it's delayed. It is delayed, I think, for one very important reason. Until recently, until about March of this year, the interest rate that you could get in other higher grade investments was very low. So it was not as if high yield has much of a competition. Mm. So if today you, you can get 4.3% for two-year treasuries. And by taking high grade investment grade, you can get a lot of money. There is a lot of competition now for high yield. And I think that is where the picture is also changing. The high grade versus high yield choice is being put to put to you in a very different manner today in October than it was even at the in the first quarter of this year. So so the pain, it sounds like you're saying the pain is to come. Um, fantastic questions. I'm going to go through a few more because they're so good today. If you have a question, you know the routine by now. Our live chat function on the website on our website um, isn't functioning through the upgrade. So hit the YouTube chat, drop your question in the comments, or tweet us with the hashtag AskRV. So Nutal is asking, when does the U.S. bond market sniff out, presumably in advance? the end of this inflation cycle swing. Will it be a repeat episode of UK gilts in US markets also? I have been writing uh, in my weekend reports that it is going to come from perhaps the dollar remaining so strong that by the end of this year, US corporate earnings are hit very badly because foreign earnings are translated into US dollars with a very strong dollar. That is one area in which that comes and they put pressure on the U US Treasury, they put pressure on the Federal Reserve to change their policies. The other reason I mention is often 
what is quote unquote a credit event, and we talked about the levered loans having problem, it could come from any other uh, area of the of the economy, from the financial system, and if that happens, I think the Federal Reserve will essentially throw in the towel and say, "Oops, that's it. No more for inflation fighting. We are going to save the system." If you look at what has happened in the last 24 hours, we saw both Charles Evans of the Chicago Fed and vice chair of the Fed, Lyle Brainerd. She said, for instance, we have to be conscious of the risks involved in too much of tightening. And Charles Evans said he is wondering also as to whether we are going too rapidly in terms of rate increases. Mm. The first time they have started to say something along these lines, it is not clear whether they are saying it of their own accord, if it is coordinated with the rest of their colleagues in the Federal Reserve Bank. But they have started to say, hey, inflation is not the only goal. We can't keep increasing interest rates. We have to worry about systemic stability. So what I would say is, and this was the piece of the uh, something that I wrote last Saturday, that you do not have a pivot yet. You do not have a move toward easing, which will help you in terms of treasury yields going down sharply, equities going up sharply. But the starting bell in terms of moving toward it, I think, has been rung. Interesting. And, and that is a departure because they had sort of unanimously been singing off the same song sheet saying, that you know, we must show resolve. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. So, you know, it, it presumably they are getting calls. We know we've heard more and more sort of high profile financiers um, sort of sounding alarmed. We heard J, uh, J.P. Morgan chief Jamie Dimon talking about the possibility of another 20 percent down uh, in the S&P 500, that it was possible. He seemed concerned. We had Mohammed Olarian saying the economy is going through a windshield. Uh uh, Kathy Wood writing an open letter. Okay, granted, she's invested in, you know, those high techs that are getting hit the most. So you can argue she's, you know, crying about her performance. But, you know, there, there are a lot of people who have been talking publicly and one has to presume privately to the Federal Reserve who sound like they're getting concerned. In this kind of environment, and we have a, um, I have to find it from Oliver because I was laughing. Oliver on our, our site said, should I stay in cash, move to a Caribbean island and live off the fish I catch for a couple of years? What's the best plan over the next couple of years? Oliver, I, I feel like we're all kind of in that mentality. But, you know, Sri, how does one navigate this, you know, as a as an investor? I would have nothing against a Caribbean vacation, Maggie. And I think anytime <laughs> I'm ready for a, a Caribbean vacation, summer or winter. Uh, that having been said, what do you do with your investments? As I said before, short-term high-grade investment, even two years, uh, yielding you over 4%. And if there is some way to tax, uh, to protect it in a, from a tax basis, maybe that cash is in your IRA, it is in your Roth IRA, and therefore, the interest you earn is not going to be taxed. 
So you can essentially get an even higher return out of it uh, if it is sitting there. What's the advantage of that? They are very short term, so they do not take a duration risk. It's not like buying 10-year treasuries or 30-year treasuries. And if yields actually go up, if the two-year yield goes up from 4.2 to 4.5%, you don't lose much. On the other hand, your, your investment is going to mature in two years or less. On the other hand, if the stock market bottoms and if it looks as if the Federal Reserve is turning a corner in terms of its policies, you just sell your U.S. treasuries and go into equities at a much lower level. If it's been said that Jamie Dimon's views translate into about 2,900 for the S&P 500, if that's the case and you're approaching it, then you always have the option of selling your short-dated fixed-income instruments. So that's one way to do it. Second way, there are going to be some commodities, I think, which are going to do well. Uh, I think oil is going to be under significant upward pressure. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw that uh, just a few days ago with the OPEC Plus decision to cut uh, a production. And we have, once again, a very strange policy move, which is being thought of by the U.S. Treasury and the European Union to put a cap on Russian oil. I hope they don't do that. That wouldn't be a great economic move for anybody who has a stu who has studied economic theory. It is like going to you, Maggie, and I'm saying you're, you want to sell your home for $500,000. I hereby decide I'm going to pay you only $250,000, not $500,000, by the way, and then I'll take your home away from you. Your answer is you're not going to sell the home at much less price than what you did. So that, I, if they go through with that, it is in some sense thought to, quote unquote, punish Russia, to punish Putin. I have no idea how you punish Putin if you set a limit on oil price at which he will not sell. Mm. Yeah. So, but those kinds of moves are going to cause a further artificial shortage of oil, going to push the oil price up. So that's one more place to park and I have been a fan of global real estate. I think demographically, there is going to be a demand for space. You want to look at country risk. You want to see which areas are going to do well. And I have talked about taking a two to five year investment in the more riskier credits, for instance, Italy rather than Germany, for instance, because that's more of a value play. It is going to come up with the passage of time. The European Union is sticking together. They even issued a common bond. The Eurozone has a common currency, and that reduces overall country risk. Those are all areas where they can invest as well, in addition to being short-term cash investments. So you talk about oil going up, and we'll, we'll, we'll end on this. You talk about uh, oil, there being upward pressure on oil, and, and you expect that to rally. Even even though we seem to be facing a global recession, I and mean, we have Alfred talking about, um, you know, uh, Walmart closing stores, laying off employees, you can start to see that weakness coming through. Do you think there is going to be a severe recession and oil rallies anyway, or do you think that the slowdown won't be that severe because central banks are going to be forced to come to the rescue? Uh, I think oil is going to keep rising despite the recession, not in an unending fashion. I think mm -hmm. if this recession gets very severe, then it puts downward pressure on oil. No doubt about that. But think about it. All the, anything, 
any commodity, including oil, the price is determined by supply and demand. If the demand goes down, and if at that time you have more of the oil producers, especially with Russia's oil production is down significantly, and if Saudi Arabia has the financial wherewithal to cut uh, production for a period of time, if they do it as well, they can equate supply and demand at a much lower level. In other words, as recession cuts demand, the producers have the ability to cut supply also. And if they do that, I think that's going to support oil price at a relatively elevated level. We are not going to see something that we saw in the 1980s of the oil price just plummeting down to very, very low level. I don't expect that to happen. Mm, which would presumably, you know, make the job, the Fed's job hard, um, you know, because exactly. it will will keep inflation elevated. Shri, we could we there, there's so much to unravel here, but we've got to leave it there. Thank you so much. That was fantastic. If I think about everything you're saying, I think the most important takeaway was really you and James explaining that BOE move, which which shocked U.S. investors, um, but really setting it up as them sort of putting the ball back on the on the shoulder or in the court of the UK government and not just being there as their safety net, sort of forcing their hand to roll back some of the policies and the ta- unfunded tax cuts they put in place, which were so hugely unpopular. Um, and so that's going to be a really interesting space to watch. And perhaps we'll see them regain some credibility and see the UK markets calm down. And then in the US, uh, and for the rest of the global economy, it looks like it's going to be um, very tricky, very difficult. But you like two-year treasuries as a short-term place to hide out because of the yield and then switching into equities when we feel like we finally do get that bottom and also pretty bullish on oil because of supply concerns. You're spot on on all the points, uh, Maggie. And I think that's, I think, where we are coming from, particularly on the Bank of England side, since we started the discussion with that mm that the fact that they are earning back their credibility, which they lost a couple of weeks ago, is very, very important for the long-term future of the Bank of England and for global monetary policy, that you have a central bank that is standing up to the treasury and saying, we are independent, we are not going to do what you are forcing us to do. That's very important for investors. Very interesting to see how this plays out. Sri, it was fantastic to spend this half hour with you. Thank you for all the great wisdom. And thanks to all of you for the fantastic questions. If you enjoyed it, hit our like button. We will be back at the same time tomorrow with Jem Carson. So please join us then. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.